But he's also a character in scripture who stumbles and falls, right? He sleeps with another man's wife. He kills her husband to try and cover it up. He's a character that has highs and lows. He lived life. And at times it was great and other times not so great. I think that's one of the gifts of the Psalms is that uh, while he didn't write all of them, in many of the Psalms, uh, we get a snapshot into where David was at in life and how he was processing what was going on. And that's where we're going to find ourselves tonight in Psalm 63. This particular psalm or song, uh, David finds himself in the desert of Judah. He's on the run from one of his sons, Absalom, who wants to kill him. So not an ideal situation to be in. Uh, But that's how life is sometimes. Uh, Things happen that we don't expect and that we don't anticipate. The setting of this psalm is really important. And before we read it, I want to spend just a minute uh, going over that because the the setting really provides context to the entire song. And it should be read through that lens because in this psalm, location matters. This area that David uh, found himself in would have been a really harsh environment. There would have been a lack of food, a lack of water, a lack of shade. The terrain would have been rocky and unforgiving. Did I disconnect? What? Ayo. There we go. Nice. All right. Um, so this would have been um, an extremely harsh environment. This wouldn't have been a weekend away that you would have been looking forward to, unlike Flagstaff, right? Uh, this was not a weekend in Flag. This was survival at its toughest. And so the result is Psalm 63. So if you want to join me in your Bibles, we'll look here. 11 verses. Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Miss Yomesa, will you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you've given us uh, these psalms, and specifically Psalm 63. God, we just ask that you would help us to listen to your spirit tonight, to listen to what it is that you have for us in this text, not only individually, but as as a community as well. God, would you convict and just show us what it is that you have for us tonight in this psalm. Amen. I want to start tonight with a question. So in a minute, we'll turn and talk in in small groups. Uh, But the question is this. And do you find yourself thinking about the past, the present, or the future 
most often. Now, before you go, a couple of just notes here. Uh, first of all, we all think about all three, right? We always, there's always past, present, and future. But most likely, you have one that you spend the majority of your thinking in across time. And there also is no correct answer. One of them might sound like a better answer, um, but no wrong answer here. Like, which one do you think that you spend the most amount of time thinking in, past, present, or the future? Uh, and then we'll come back together and talk about those three orientations of time. So turn and talk. I'll give you guys a couple minutes, and then we'll come back together. All right. Uh, Hopefully you were able to land on maybe where you spent most of your thinking in. Um, if you didn't land on one of those three, I'd encourage you to continue thinking about that. Um, we all have a dominant orientation to time. Uh, we all have one of those three that a majority of our thinking gets done in. I'm past-oriented, meaning most of my time is spent looking back or remembering good times, remembering really good meals, remembering good trips. Yes, I think about the present. Yes, I sometimes think about the future, but most of my thinking is done looking back. And the reason I ask that question is because tonight in the psalm, we're going to see all three orientations to time. David is going to acknowledge his present circumstances. He's going to look back, and then he's going to look forward. And that's going to sort of be the framework that we run through this psalm is present, past, future. And so we're going to start in the present and so verse one, right, he says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. In this first verse, right, he acknowledges his circumstances. He's in a physical wilderness, uh, but I think he's also experiencing a spiritual wilderness here. He finds himself in a situation that he couldn't have desired to be in, running from his own child who wants him dead. He's all alone in the desert, no comforts of home, a lack of food, right? It would have been really easy for David to write a song complaining to God about how he had to run away into the desert. He was probably in the middle of a really good Netflix original series, probably on the last episode, or maybe in the middle of Fortnite, or in Roblox, the super crystal just came, right? Bad timing. If you know, you know, right? The timing was not good, okay? All of the comfort of home was gone. His community was not there. The deserts of life can be a really scary place, right? Have you ever had a season like that where you felt like God's timing was just off? You ever had a season of life where there was lots of loss and loneliness? A season where God is wondering where God is in the midst of all the pain you're experiencing or a season of a habit that you just can't kick. See, some of us here right now are in the middle of seasons like that. Some of us just came out of seasons like that and the reality is some of us are heading into those seasons. But I, I want you to notice David's response to the situation he found himself in. Right At the beginning of the song, he says, I long for you. This was a bodily right, response. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm thirsting for you, God. He was dependent on God out in the desert. And I think that's one thing we take away from the present is that the, the desert reminds us of our dependence on God. See, again, in this desert that he was in, again, there was a lack of all resources, no water, no food. He acknowledges, God, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. But would I thirst and hunger for you? Would I long for you like my stomach is longing 
for a really good meal. I think what David is, is doing here is comparing his desire for fellowship with God like one who is thirsting for water after days and days of wandering in the desert. He's yearning for God like one who has been lost and looking for food and still hasn't found any. It's a deep aching to be close to God. See, David shows us here that dependence is greater than our independence. It's better to be in a place of dependence on God rather than on ourselves. And so the deserts of life remind us that we need God to sustain us. We can try it on our own, but it's only going to last so long. A second thing that I think we see here in this psalm uh, in the present is if we look at 6, 7, and 8, right? On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. So verse 1 looks at the present, right? And we see the same thing in 6, 7, and 8. Right? David, uh, he remembers God's past activities and finds comfort during the night. Instead of being at home on his extra Serta plush mattress, he's sleeping on the rocks. And instead of having the security of doors and walls, he's exposed in the elements. But David finds his protection in God here. Right? And after he does that, he claims things about God, about how God will protect and provide. Right? David responds to God's love. He says, I'll cling to you, right? Eugene Peterson writes that I, I will hold on to you for dear life. David is responding to God's invitation to fellowship. He knows that God is going to be true to his promises. He's learned to sing while waiting for God's help. He, he demonstrates what a relationship with Yahweh looks like. It should provoke a response from us. As we find ourselves in moments or weeks or months of loneliness or grieving over loss, of questioning where God is at, may we do what David did, acknowledge our present circumstances. He was honest with God. He looked at his surroundings and said, God, here's where I am. I need you. I have no other choice because there's literally no resources around. I'm going to respond to your love because I know that you'll show up. So I think as we look at the present, a second thing we see here is that the desert is an invitation to respond to God's hesed love. The word Hebrew hesed means loving kindness. Uh, Hebrew is really difficult to translate into English, so I'm going to try to paint a picture of what this love looks like because it's different than agape love. Hesed love is love that roots us and grounds us. It is a love that attaches us to God because we're his child and that's it. There's nothing that we can do to earn this love. No performance, nothing. We're attached because we're a child of his. It roots and it grounds us. Dallas Willard suggests that this hesed love is an attachment love, right? That this kind of love that God shows attaches us to him like a healthy attachment between a mother and a newborn child. The baby is secure because the mother provides everything that the baby needs. The child has no worries other than just being in the presence of its mother. David looks around at his circumstances and remembers God's hesed love. If God is hesed, then 
I'm good. My father is secure. I don't need to let fear have a foothold. I don't need to be anxious because my God is a Hesed God. I have a secure attachment to him and nothing I do will change that. After David acknowledges his present, he looks to the past. And in verse two and three, he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. He reorients himself to what he has seen God do in the past, right? He first says, I've seen you in the sanctuary. This was a reference to being in the tabernacle in the presence of God. This tangible experience that he had of remembering God and how he provides his covenantal love, how he shows up. This experience reminded David of God's presence. And as he sits in the desert, hungry, thirsty, running for his life from his own child, he remembers that God keeps his promises. See, reminding ourselves of what God has done and who God is anchors us in the true story. When we are in seasons like David, it's easy to listen to other stories. There's so many stories vying for our attention and affirmation, right? It's easy to buy into the cultural stories that you just have to ride this season out. It's going to pass eventually. Or you just have to try harder. Or a personal favorite, you put yourself in this situation, Shame is always good, right? Instead of listening to those stories, right? God is inviting us into a story that's much more beautiful than those. He's inviting us into his story of the world, one that is not anxious. It is not based on shame. It's not contingent on our behavior. It's one that is constant and steady and full of love. A second thing I think we learned from David as he looked back is that we must be altar builders. We must be a people who remember what God has done, right? He's building up these mental altars to remember when needed. See, in the story of scripture, right, there are a lot of stories where we see the people of God build altars after they saw God show up in amazing ways, And instead of spinning all of the possible what-if scenarios, what if my son finds me? What if I don't find food in the next day? Instead of plotting revenge, instead of being anxious, right? David meditated on the wonderful nature and works of his God. He built an altar to God in his mind. He carefully crafted this altar from the stones of God's character and actions. What would it look like for us to have altars built up in our minds for God? What stories would you remember of how God has shown up, of how God has shown grace and mercy, or how God has healed? What if when we find ourselves in deserts, instead of going to the altars of fear, anxiety, and do-it-yourself, we went to the altar of Jesus? I think this is one of the reasons why community is so important. In this room, there's people that have been following Jesus for a year, for five years, for 10, 20, 40, or more years. We need each other's stories. We need to build up these altars, not only individually, but collectively, to remember each other's stories. 
David looks around, right, present. He looks back to the past, and then we see him look forward to the future. So verses four and five, he writes this, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I'll be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. I think we see David respond to God's love by committing to a life of trust. Uh, let me go back and remember earlier in the psalm when he was talking about how he's hungry and thirsty, right? He says here in verse four and five that he's gonna be fully satisfied with the richest of foods. And while the musical Hamilton taught us that we will never be satisfied, that was for you all, unless we have the right spouse or unless we leave the right legacy, Right? David reminds us that we can be fully satisfied. David is trusting that God is going to provide. And not just a little bit, but a whole lot. Right? The richest of foods. This wasn't a, a ramen meal he was looking forward to. This was a feast, a banquet. I want you to think of a meal that you've eaten recently. And at the end of it, you sat back and were just satisfied, content. I think that's the the picture that David is painting here. It's a a life with God should leave us satisfied. It should leave us not desiring anything else. And as David commits to this life of trust, I want you to realize that his circumstances aren't any better. He's still alone in the desert, hiding from his son. He's still hungry. He's still thirsty. But as he commits to that life of trust, right, his circumstances stay the same. I think that's the real beauty of this this psalm. There's surrender here on David's part, but yet his location doesn't change. I think that's true of life sometimes, right? We're feeling lonely. We're feeling isolated. We feel beat down. We pray for God to do something and it doesn't happen right away. We can take comfort in the fact that David has lived that same situation. But in light of his present circumstances of being wandering in the desert, he still praises God and commits to trusting him because of what he knows about God. You remember when you were a kid and you would brag about like people you knew, maybe like a family member? Well, when I was a kid, elementary school, I remember bragging about a couple different people. I would brag about my mom because she had the best chocolate chip cookies. Still does to this day. There's a couple of people that are really close, but like mom's still up there, right? Anyone that wanted chocolate chip cookies? We're talking conversation on the playground, chocolate chip cookies? Yeah, my mom. She's got the best one, right? And then I would also brag about my nanny or my grandma. And my nanny was really cool because she spoke Chinese. And she lives like in the deep south. Like that was just like a, a cool thing. And I remember one day in the playground, Uh, This kid was like, yeah, my grandma drives a Buick. And I'm like, yeah, my grandma drives a Buick and speaks Chinese. Take that, right? I feel like that's the picture we get here, uh, that David is is bragging about God, right? He's praising God. God, you're going to do something, and I'm going to lift my hands, and I'm going to be satisfied. He's boasting about God here. He's declaring what he knows knows that God is going to do because of what he's seen God do. And then we have the last three verses, 9, 10, and 11. 
Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They'll go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. At first glance, when you read these verses right at the tail end of the psalm, it seems a little strange, right? David's saying, God, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, here's where I'm at. He looks back and remembers all these good things God's done. And then here at the end, he's like, and they're going to be killed, and they're going to go to the depths of the earth, and they're going to be eaten by jackals. And it's like, dang, David, like, that's kind of intense. Like, I took a turn right there at the end. But in order to, to make sense of those verses, we have to understand who those people were that David was talking about. These weren't just people that pulled into his spot at Costco and cut him off. These people were committing violence. They were organizing injustice. David hated them because they were actively going against the kingdom of God. And so we see David here after acknowledging his present circumstances about being in the desert, of looking back on what God has done and how he showed up for David, and finally committing to a life of trust, he ends with declaring hope for the future. All right, we look to the future where justice and healing will come through a just God. We hope for the future because we know the ending of the story already. We know that God is a God of justice and will restore everything that is twisted and corrupt. Right? Where there is pain now emotionally, physically, right? there will be healing one day. Where there is hunger right now, there will be full tables uh, with people from all different backgrounds. Where there's loneliness, there will be community. Where there are mass shootings, we hope and we long for the day where there will be no violence and only peace. Where there is unstable economic markets, there's a day coming where God's economy is plentiful and more than enough for everyone. Where there's death, there will be a day where death doesn't exist. See, we hope for the future because the final act of the true story promises that. Restoration in all forms, over all the earth, over all the people. So, Missio Mesa, if this is true, how do we be faithful servants in seasons of deserts and seasons where there's plenty? How do we live in both the wilderness experiences and both the tabernacle experiences? I want to give us three practices this evening to take with us throughout our days and into summer Sabbath that hopefully will help us reorient ourselves in the true story. Three orientations that David used that will help us root and ground ourselves. The first is to look around, right? Acknowledge your present circumstances. Come to God as you are, right? Ask questions like, how am I feeling right now? What do I feel frustrated about? What's an injustice that is taking place around me in Mesa, in Arizona? What's something I want to thank God for, right? What's something I want to celebrate with God about? I shared earlier that I'm past-oriented, and I think I really struggle with this one out of the three. I struggle with this one because... Uh, my shame can be really strong sometimes. And my shame tells me that I got to clean up my mess before I come to God. 
And while I know that's a big fat lie, I still have to fight it at times. There's a musician that I really like. Uh, she has a song that speaks to that idea of cleaning up our mess before we come to God. Her name's Jillian Edwards. And I'm going to read you uh, just a, a stanza, a part of her song. Uh, so she says this, I've been stuck in my reflection, knocking on the glass, thinking I'll find my own way, that I can move past all the filth and mud stained on my skin. Guess I'll work on myself, try it again, and I expect you to be polite. Wait outside while I clean up. But you bust down the door to me. You covered yourself, you covered yourself with me. All my stains. I think this is a picture that we need to remember as we come to him, that he's already covered himself with our sins, our shame. So bring it to him. He wants us to express how we're doing and so for some of us, this is really easy. Some of us, this comes natural to you, but for some of us, this may be really difficult. How am I feeling? I want to remind you that God cares about your situations, our situations. He cares about the loneliness we may be feeling. He cares uh, about our emotions, about the things that we carry with us. He feels them and carries them with us. So as we look around, I would encourage us to also look back. To remember a time uh, where you've seen God provide for you or for others. To reflect on a time where you've experienced God's hesed love. To reflect on a time where you've experienced his mercy. And to re remember, reflect on a time where you've seen God work in someone else's life. After orienting yourself to the present, look back to the past. Build up those altars. See how many you can come up with. Write them down. How have you seen God provide and show up? Do this as an MC. Do this as a family. I think that as members of a Western individualistic society, it's really easy to uh, think, well, that's their story, right? No, 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 no. Hear this, if God did something for someone in our community or someone we know, it's true for all of us. If God healed, he will continue to heal. If he's forgiven, he can forgive you. If he's uh, brought someone relief from depression or loneliness, that is true for all of us. So build those altars up. Remember those times that we've seen God work. And a third orientation would be to look forward, uh, to write down what you need God to do, to think about what injustices we see around us in your neighborhood, in your city, in your state. What do you want to see made right? Is there a role that you or your MC can play in helping to bring about restoration now, to provide hope, What's something that you want to see healed? Or who's someone that you want to see healed? And what group of people in your neighborhood or city need a taste of community right now? Right, this final orientation is forward-looking. Looking to the future, and just like David did, declare what you need God to do. The final act of the story, restoration. And as we look to the table... Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians that Christ is risen, Christ has come, and Christ is coming again. 
You see, at the table, we see all three orientations to time, past, present, and future. And tonight, as we eat this meal and drink the cup, uh, we, may you remember that God is the God of all time. He is the God of present, he's the God of the past, and he's God of future. And so in a minute, for those of you that confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, may you come to the table fully aware of your present circumstances. Take the time that you need before coming up to the table tonight. And we will take the juice and the bread together uh, as a community tonight. Miss Yomesa, you are welcome to the table. Thank you.